0: Our sermon today is taken from Exodus chapter 8, verse 20 to 32. This is the word of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and go into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. That says the Lord.
1: Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord, that we are gathered here today, O Lord, to worship you with the church militant, Lord, here on earth. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us into the blessed company of the saints and adopted us into your very own family. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to worship you today by illuminating our minds and hearts, giving us eyes to see, Lord, and ears to hear the calling of your spirit as you call us, Lord, to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for so great a salvation. and We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes, as Christians, if we're not careful, we'll read the story of the Exodus with a sort of self-serving way and us-against-them attitude. You see, we take pride in the fact that we are believers and members of the one church of the true God. And our people called by his very own name. And that's okay. We celebrate the fact that we live in community with one another. And enjoy the various benefits of Christian fellowship. As we should. We shake our heads in utter disbelief. At Pharaoh's bold defiance of God. And rightly so. We cheer triumphantly. As the Egyptian army is swallowed up whole in the red sea and God's people are delivered miraculously as we ought what we forget all too quickly however is that the vast majority of these Jews were themselves primary beneficiaries of God's deliverance from Egypt through the agency of Moses and that ultimately in the end though they enjoyed all these benefits and privileges they themselves died in unbelief you see they too were members of the church of the one true God and a people who were called by his very own name they too lived in community with one another and enjoyed all the various benefits of Christian fellowship they too witnessed Pharaoh's bold defiance of God and and even cheered triumphantly as they were delivered from the Red Sea they joined Moses in singing a song of deliverance to celebrate the destruction of the entire Egyptian army. But because of their hardened hearts, God Himself was not pleased with the vast majority of those very same Jews and left their bodies scattered throughout the wilderness. And this is a truth that all of us, as professing Christians, who are associated with God's church would do well to take to heart. The author of Hebrews warns us, for who were those who yet heard and rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by the hand of Moses, and with whom he, that is God, was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and those whose bodies felled in the wilderness? And to whom he did swear, they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. You see what the author of the Hebrews is telling us is that amazingly, much like Pharaoh, the hearts of the Jews, God's very own people, those he delivered miraculously through the Red Sea, were also hardened in spite of the fact that they themselves were the very recipients of God's gracious redemption and special favor and even eyewitnesses of his sovereign power. So in spite of all the blessings and privileges that they enjoyed, it ultimately did not profit them as they were disobedient and hardened their hearts in unbelief. And this fact is symbolic of a very unfortunate reality that can be found throughout the Old and New Testaments. Namely, that the hearts of sinners are hardened by both the justice and the mercy of God, The hearts of sinners are hardened by both the justice and the mercy of God. The Hebrews hardened their hearts, although they were the objects of God's mercy. As they were delivered miraculously from Egypt. And by means of those very same miracles, Pharaoh himself hardened his heart though he was the object of God's justice. The Hebrews also hardened their hearts when they were the primary beneficiaries of God's justice and acting on their behalf to judge their oppressors. And Pharaoh hardened his heart as the object of God's mercy whenever the plagues were removed from the land of Egypt. You see, the hearts of sinners are hardened by both the justice and the mercy of God. You see, the truth is that ultimately, neither the justice nor the mercy of God was sufficient to bring Pharaoh or the Jews to repentance. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. And as we shall see, both Pharaoh and the Jews are set forth in the book of Exodus as prime examples of those who rebel in unbelief against both the justice and the mercy of God. And so we must be careful not to view our standing as Christians with pride or complacency, but we must examine our very own hearts and make our calling and election sure And so the purpose of the book of Exodus is not to make us proud or complacent in our standing as Christians, but rather to awaken us from our slumber and to caution us against an evil heart of unbelief. Lest we too should harden our hearts to God's mercy and likewise fail to answer his rest. Now, with that being said, I'd like to examine our text under three headings. Three headings. God's peculiar providence, verses 20 through 24. Pharaoh's ridiculous proposal, verses 25 through 29. And Moses' faithful prayer, verses 30 through 32. God's peculiar providence, Pharaoh's ridiculous proposal, and Moses' faithful But first, God's peculiar providence in verse 20. Now the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, let my people go that they may serve me. You see, in verse 20, we have an instance of God's peculiar providence towards Pharaoh As he walks along the the banks of the river now, one early morning. Most likely to engage in an act of worship with the Egyptian god, Happy. You see, it's true. God both sees and long suffers the false worship of all men in general. Indeed, he is everywhere present. And the very souls of human beings which is the very seat of idolatry in the human heart, ultimately belongs to God. And he sees us in the midst of our most despicable acts of idolatry. We're unable to hide from his infinite gaze. And he often confronts us through the preaching of his word or in their inner recesses of our very own consciousness and he commands us to repent of our sins and to turn from our wickedness. But the fact that Pharaoh continues to engage in acts of worships with false gods, even after being confronted, humiliated, and defeated by the one true God, is startling evidence of an extreme hardness of his heart. You know, we have this saying in America that goes something like this. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You see, Pharaoh is completely convinced that the God of Moses is the one true God. He is just not willing to acknowledge it. He's convinced of it, but he's not willing to acknowledge it. And according to Romans 1, Pharaoh, like most men, is suppressing the truth about God in unrighteousness. Why? You see, Pharaoh was born and raised in the land of Egypt and was introduced to the gods of Egypt, most likely by his very own parents. In other words, it was the religion that he was accustomed to and even practiced with his peers. And to renounce his religion at this point would essentially be to turn his back on everything he's ever known or been familiar with. In other words, to embrace the God of Moses at this point in his life would cost him dearly. How? Well, he'd be forced to admit that the religious beliefs and practices that were practiced by his and embraced by his very own parents were wrong. It would cost him something. And all of us here today can emphasize with Pharaoh, right? Because for better or worse, we're all products of our own environment. We're all greatly impacted by our parents, our cultures, the number of people who I've met. I can't tell you that they've told me that they've embraced a particular religion simply because their parents did so, even without investigating it. They usually will say something like this, well, I'm a member of this religion because I was born there. My parents raised me to be this way. And very often, they're completely unwilling to consider the fact that their parents could be wrong. Why? Why? Because it's the religion that they're familiar with. And to turn away from everything that they've been taught would be, in essence, to turn their backs on everything that they've become accustomed to. In other words, it would cost them something. And so, they harden their hearts. Perhaps you're here today and you're not quite sure if you're a Christian You're convinced that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for the sins of His people. You would like to embrace the gospel, but you're afraid of what it might cost you. It might cost you your job, your popularity, your relationship with your loved ones, a spouse or a boyfriend, or Perhaps it might cost you to renounce everything that you've ever believed to be true about life in general. That's what happened to me when I was converted. You know, one of my professors in seminary once said to me, people resist change because they fear loss. People resist change because they fear loss. In other words, as people, we're all creatures of habit. And we very often avoid those things that would take us outside our comfort zones because we fear that we will lose control. We fear we may lose control of our jobs, of our lives, of our wealth, of our spouses, of our children, and even our very own sanity. There's a story in the New Testament about a young man who was extremely wealthy. And he came to Jesus and he asked him what he might do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when the rich young man heard this, the Bible tells us that he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. You see, he was not willing to pay the cost. And so he hardened his heart to Jesus. You see, this man not only resisted the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he resisted Jesus Christ himself because he feared what he might lose what it would cost him in this particular example it was his wealth but let me ask you a question what is it for you what is it for you what is it that's keeping you from following Jesus today please Do not harden your hearts, for God is merciful. Do you know that the very fact that God sent Moses to Pharaoh once again to appeal to him, to let his people go, was in itself an act of mercy? You see, God is an absolute sovereign who not only created Pharaoh, But he holds Pharaoh's very life in the palm of his hands. God is not obligated to ask Pharaoh or any other human being anything. On the contrary, human beings are obligated by nature to obey every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. For a mere human being to boldly defy the living God and be willing to pay the price for it is sheer madness indeed. You see, there's a multitude of ways that God could have used in order to coerce Pharaoh to do exactly what he wanted, to break his will and to make him compliant in releasing the Hebrews. For example, God could have stricken him With the most unbearable afflictions of body and soul. Until he wilted under the pressure. Of excruciating pain. Moreover God could have tormented him. With some severe mental disorder. And turned him into a wild animal. Who ate grass. Like he did with King Nebuchadnezzar. Until Pharaoh repented. And released the Hebrews. Or. God could simply have softened his heart to favor the Hebrews like he did with Joseph by granting him favor in the sight of Pharaoh of his day in order to save his people from the famine that then existed in the land of Canaan. To this, the book of Proverbs bears witness. The king's heart is as a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he will. The king, Pharaoh's heart, is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever so he will. But the very fact that God chose not to resort to any of these means in order to break Pharaoh's will implies that he has specific reasons for doing so. And while we can't comprehend all of God's ways entirely, we can definitely surmise from the text that God sending Moses to personally appeal to Pharaoh on behalf of his people was in one sense an act of mercy and gave him an opportunity to repent and to turn from his ways. But the fact that God freely chose to send Moses to this particular Pharaoh also reveals something else about him, God that is, that we would not have known otherwise. And Romans chapter 9, verses 17 and 18 tells us exactly what this reason is. Verse 17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed throughout all the earth. Therefore, the Lord has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. You see, the primary reason for God's allowing Pharaoh to oppose him was that he might glorify his justice through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and his rebellion in spite of all of God's appeals to him to the contrary. Though he was appealed to by Moses himself with miraculous judgments. And so we can see clearly that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened not only to the mercy of God and sending Moses to appeal to him, but also to the justice of God as he continued on in his opposition by refusing to release God's people under heavy acts of judgment. And this brings us to the second point of God's peculiar providence in verses 21 through 24. For if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they dwell. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of flies will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall occur. Then the Lord did so, and there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. In the fourth plague... God's peculiar providence was displayed in his mercy towards his people. And here we learn something very important. For the very first time in the accounts of the plagues, there's a distinction made between the people of God and the people of Egypt. This particular plague, the fourth plague, the sending out of what many commentators believe to be some kind of stinging dog flies, will be visited upon Egypt only but not upon God's people who who reside in the land of Goshen. It will even be visited upon Pharaoh himself and those in his court, but not upon the Hebrews. In fact, the announcement of the fourth plague includes a sort of play on words to present some kind of irony here. In the Hebrew, uh, it's in the form of a conditional statement. If you do not send out my people, behold, I will send out swarms of insects on you and on your servants and on your people. You see here, for the very first time, God reveals to Pharaoh his peculiar providential love and care on behalf of his people by preserving them from the effects of the swarming stinging dog flies. Thus, Pharaoh can be assured that this particular plague... Is from the very hand of God himself, the one and only God, the true God. Verse 23, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will occur. Translated literally, this verse goes something like this. I will set a redemption between my people and your people. And the implication is that God would bring about redemption through an act of judgment upon Pharaoh and his people. In other words, God would deliver his people from the plague while simultaneously, at the same time, delivering Pharaoh's people over to it. And the purpose of this division between God's people and Pharaoh's is, again, that the Egyptians might know, recognize, and acknowledge his sovereignty, power, and absolute authority as the one true God. If you're a Christian here today, God has brought about your redemption from sin through an act of judgment upon Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary as he absorbed the plague of God's wrath on your behalf that you might be free in order to serve him through the power and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this redemption has set you apart to be salt, and light in a world of darkness. And now we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light. What a great privilege. Let us not harden our hearts to God's mighty act of redemption in freeing us. From the slavery and bondage of sin through the work of Jesus Christ. God's peculiar providence. And that brings us to our second point, Pharaoh's ridiculous proposal. Verses 25 through 29, Pharaoh's ridiculous proposal. Look at verses 25 through 29 with me. Verse 25, and Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, go, sacrifice to your God within the land. And Moses said, it is not right for us to do so. For we will sacrifice to the Lord our God what is an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what is an abomination to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you should not go very far away. Go, make supplication for me, pray for me. Moses said, Behold, I am going out free from you and I shall pray for you to the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh from his servants and from his house tomorrow. Only do not let Pharaoh deal deceitfully again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. As the land of Egypt was being ruined as a result of being overwhelmed by these stinging hordes of uh, stinging dog flies, Pharaoh summons both Moses and Aaron to him in order to offer them what is at this point a completely ridiculous proposal. Verse 25, go, sacrifice to God within the land. You see, what makes this proposal so absurd is that Pharaoh is forgotten exactly who it is who needs relief from the stinging dog flies. It's him and the Egyptians. It's not Moses and Aaron. So why is he pretending that he still has any leverage to negotiate? Pharaoh is delusional. And if most commentators are correct, the entire land of Egypt was on the verge of being ruined by this first plague. So Pharaoh, unfortunately, is in no real position to negotiate the terms of the Hebrews' release. He has to be aware of this. The Egyptian gods have proven themselves to be powerless to overcome the various catastrophes that Yahweh has visited upon them. And yet Pharaoh's response to Moses is further proof of the fact that in light of all the evidence to the contrary, he has still not humbled himself before the Lord and refused to admit defeat. Have you ever seen a boxer who was truly knocked unconscious and yet was still trying to make it up to his feet? It's a fascinating thing. Oftentimes in their unconsciousness, you can see them flailing away at the air even swinging on the referees. Because at that very moment, they're not quite aware, like the rest of us, that the fight is already over. You see, even though he's already been defeated, Pharaoh's pride just keeps on flailing away, right? And will not allow him to completely submit to God's request to free his people. So Pharaoh's heart is still hard. So basically, what he's saying to Moses and Aaron is, "Let's make a deal. Go, Sacrifice to God within the land. Serve the Lord. Only do it here in Egypt." And you see, on a, a far grander scale, Pharaoh's response to Moses is symbolic and indicative of the very same schemes that the world offers to you and I as Christians to get us to violate the clear commandments of God's law and to compromise thereby the integrity of our faith. Like Pharaoh, the world tempts us to make deals. You've heard it all before, right? Come on, man. Let's go hang out. Come go drinking with us. It's okay to be a Christian, but don't take religion too seriously. Don't be a fanatic. How about this one? You mean to tell me that out of all the world's religions, Jesus is the only way? Come on. Stop being so bigoted. Or, you know, if you really want to make the gospel more attractive to unbelievers, stop using archaic terms like sin and repentance. Soften the message a little bit. Be more seeker friendly. Change the music at your church. Be more tolerant of people and just accept them the way they are. Affirm their right to be who they are when they want to be it. Stop trying to change people. Don't you see, these are all subtle tricks that the enemy uses in order to get us to compromise the integrity of our faith. Notice, however, how Moses responds to Pharaoh's suggestion. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so. For the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God are an offense to the Egyptians. If we offer in the sight of the Egyptians sacrifices that are offensive to them, will they not stone us? We must therefore go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. You see, in these verses... Moses gives at least two reasons why Pharaoh's proposal is ridiculous. And the very first one should have been obvious to even Pharaoh himself. You see, the Hebrew sacrifices would have offended the Egyptians. And here's where Moses' education and upbringing in Egyptian culture comes in handy, right? Because Moses understood. That the animals that God's people would use in their religious sacrifices were regarded as sacred by the Egyptians. And certain animals Moses knew were even symbols of Egyptian gods. So if the Israelites had sacrificed those animals in Egypt to Jehovah, there would have been much rioting and violence. Egyptians would have taken great offense as these sacrifices And they would have been a complete and utter abomination to them. Even more importantly, however, Moses replies or implies in his response to Pharaoh that remaining in the land of Egypt was not an option simply because it is not what the Lord commanded them to do. You see, God commanded Moses to go into Egypt and to bring his people out through a great and miraculous deliverance and to take them onward into the land of Canaan. And anything less would have been direct disobedience to the clear commandments of God. Brothers and sisters, we must resist the pressure to make deals with the world by remaining faithful to God's word and not hardening our hearts. God's peculiar providence. Pharaoh's ridiculous proposal. And lastly, Moses' faithful prayer. Moses' faithful prayer. Verses 30 through 32. Verse 30. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his officials, and from his people, and not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and would not let the people go. You see, for the second time in a row, Pharaoh asked Moses to pray for him that the effects of the plague would be removed and taken from him. His actions, however, after their removal, indicate the utter lack of sincerity and sheer dishonesty of his request. And although Moses suspects that Pharaoh is still being deceitful, he faithfully petitions or prays to the Lord on behalf of Pharaoh that the effects of the plague would end. You know, the miraculous ending of the fourth plague and the faithful prayer of Moses had a permanent effect on both men. The faithful prayer of Moses had an permanent effect on both men and the miraculous ending of the fourth plague. For Moses, this miracle served to increase and confirm his ever-going faith in God. For Pharaoh, however, it only served to further harden his heart and to confirm him in unbelief. Did you know that that's exactly what happens today when a person is confronted with a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You either embrace Christ as Lord and Savior or you further harden your hearts and are confirmed in unbelief. Where are you today? Where are you today? If you hear his voice, please do not harden your hearts. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you that you have adopted us, Lord, into your family. We thank you that you have given us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have purchased our salvation, O Lord, on the cross of Calvary through the work of Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection. We ask, Lord, that you would give us courage, Lord, to resist the temptations of the world, to relent, against your commandments, O Lord. And we ask, O Lord, these things in Jesus' names. Amen.